Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Carwright, joined as always by my co-host, John Carey. And we are here today talking to you from across the living room instead of across the table. It's a, it's a new new style today. We're seeing how it feels. We just need our space, you know? <laughs> Things can get a little, a little hot it's when little we're staring at each other. on that other. side of the room, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Big talk from Spider Guy. You're, you're the one hanging out with spiders over there. That's true. We did see a spider walk across the floor, and we moved the couch about three times to try and find it, and it's gone. So nope, if it, we disappear from the pod and are never heard from again, that's why. It is in the walls, and now it knows that we're scared of it. So we're screwed. Um, today, for you guys, we've got a little bit of Mariner's talk. Um, actually, probably a lot of bit of Mariner's talk. Gosh, to all our fans that hate baseball, we are so sorry. It's really just... The only thing going on we're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah. It's going to it's gonna be like that for, I guess, this week. And then things really pick up next week. We're going to get a little Correct. football talk. Um, but we will talk about football this week, just a little bit more college-focused. Yeah, We've got college, the college season pro. starting this week. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's going to be very good. Um, Anything else before we get started, John? I say we dive in. All right. Here's a little coyote picnic for y'all. All right, John, let's just dive right into it. So, how do we feel about the Mariners' recent games? Obviously, they just completed their series against Kansas City uh, and Oakland in Seattle. Yep, so, uh, yeah, kind of an interesting part of the season here. We've gotten through what we like to call the cake portion of our schedule, and we're rounding the band down the home stretch. So, the game that they just played pushed them to um, 133 on the year, uh, which means we now have 29 games left on the season. We are less than 30. Uh, we are coming down the home stretch. Nine series left in the regular season. Um, now, we have won every single one of those series. Uh, we've won every series we've played since the Orioles, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, in that regard, it is encouraging. Honestly, I'm a little discouraged. A um, little discouraged we gave one up to Kansas City. A little discouraged we gave one up to Oakland. Particularly the Oakland, Oakland game where we scratched George Kirby and Julio didn't play. And we lost like 2-1. to 3-1, one. One, yeah. Yeah, and just a poor showing, low effort. Kind of going against all that good momentum we've been building all year. Luckily, we were able to pull it back together in that last game. Um I'm feeling good. I, you know, since last we talked, the Mariners now have uh, sole possession of uh, first place in the AL West. We're technically tied with Houston, but we have one less loss and we have the tiebreaker against them. So um, holding on to first place there. But yeah, I just, we've got a lot of tough games down the stretch. Um, Somehow in sole possession of first place, I actually feel less comfortable than I did when we were that scrappy third wild card. I can agree with you. I think what it is is now our, our sights are set on first place. And so... Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, as soon as, soon as you get something, you want more, you know? <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, what is... Uh, let's see here. We've won 13 of our last 15, mm-hmm. which is a crazy stat. Eight in a row, one loss to the White Sox, which was honestly not... Can't be upset about that one. JP has to make that throw to third to try and stop Tim Anderson from getting to first base or third correct, base. Correct, And it just hits his helmet. That's a tough loss. Can't be mad about it. Mm-hmm. Um the the athletics loss was tough the three to one loss where Kirby had to come out because he was sick Julio had it has been out since then with uh, left foot like nerve tightness which is a little little concerning um, but we're hoping to have him back for this weekend series that starts tomorrow against the Mets um, a tight game against the the A's yesterday five five to four win um, that was a good game Julio didn't play in that one either so yeah. And I think, was it Bryce Miller who started that game? Bryce Miller had a good outing. Yep, and you know what I really like from Bryce is he came out a little shaky, and I think they scored two or three in the first. Yeah. Um, and it was going to be like, oh, is this going to be one of those Bryce Miller starts? And he, he really just, you know, play was a little shaky early, but he was super composed. Dialed um, it back in for sure. And he just, yeah, he just worked through it is all he did. So, uh, yeah, that was very encouraging. 
you know, down early. Teo brings us back with that huge home run. That was huge. Um, and yeah, that was good. I guess, yeah, let me reframe a little bit because you are so right. Now I'm just desperate to hold on to first. Um, the wild cards are currently the Rays, the Astros, and the Blue Jays. Um, Blue Jays are two and a half games behind the Rangers, who are a game back of the Astros. So we are three and a half games out of the third wild card spot. So really good position there. Obviously, the Blue Jays are a great team. They could potentially make a run, but they have a tough schedule to end the year. They got the Rockies and the A's and the Royals coming up, which is their easy stretch. But then they go Rangers, Red Sox, Yankees, Rays, Yankees, Rays. So uh, That's going to be a tough stretch. That is a tough stretch, and them and the Rays are going to be bludgeoning each other a little bit as they both try to secure one of those wild cards. So pretty good shape in terms of at least, you know, at least making the postseason. Obviously, we want more than that. We want to hold on to first in the AMS. Yeah, we, we would love that bye. But, yeah, it is very worth noting that before the start of July, we had thrown in the towel and we had given up on the year and said – Maybe next year. I guess we should be sellers at the trade deadline. And, uh, yeah, 13 out of their last 15, when you say it like that, maybe I shouldn't be complaining about the two. Um, so pretty cool. Yeah, I can I can second that. I think another thing to think about is it's really interesting how at the start of the season, everybody was raving about the AL East and how they had you know five teams above 500 yep. that were all going to be competing for those three wildcard spots. And look how things have shaken out, man. The yeah. the AL West is looking like a powerhouse, you know. The Obviously, Yankees the A's are collapsed. booty, but yeah. the Yankees have collapsed. Um, the Red Sox don't look great. They're they're decent, but they don't look like world no. beaters by any means. Honestly, that, the that Rays Houston don't look series great. Series was pretty revealing. That Houston Red Sox series. They played seven games in in like two weeks, and Houston went six and one, five and two against them, and it was just like, okay, clearly these teams are on different planes. But yeah, the fact that you know. I guess, you know, as of two days ago, Houston was in third <laughs> in the AL West. That's crazy. Obviously, they're up to second now because the Rangers are frauds, and we'll talk more about that later. But uh, that's crazy. Houston, the defending champs, a team that nobody wants to play in the postseason, including me, um, they were third in the AL West. So you are correct. And, you know, yeah, the o- Oakland's booty, but the Angels aren't bad. Nobody wants to play Shohei. Yeah, I would agree. I think, well, after that um, waiver wire dump, or I guess not waiver wire, but they dumped all of their trade acquisitions from the trade deadline, and and Cleveland and Cincinnati picked up four of those players, Mm. uh, which is interesting. I think they just didn't want any other competitors to to pick up those guys. Um, But they they looked like good options for the Mariners should they have made it to them. Um, So tough tough not to get those players. Yes. But I I will say... Looking at the remainder of the games, I still think the AL West crown is going to come down to those 10 games at the end of the season. Has to. Uh, and it's really whether or not we can sustain this kind of success. If Julio you know, needs to take a couple more days off, needs to take a series off, that kind of thing could really, really hurt the team, especially with all the momentum that he's created with his play. Uh, that, and I think... You know, making sure the pitching is supported. I think I don't know if we talked about this last week, but something to something to consider is as the the you know year goes on, our everybody's pitching kind of gets worse. More runs get scored. Things like that start to start to happen just because arms get tired. Starting pitchers can't go as deep. Relievers have to get used more. I see the spider on the wall, John. Is it? Should I go do it? Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll be we'll be back in no, just one no, second. No, we're recording this. Just listen. <laughs> You're going to hear a loud smack in a second. We need blood. You get him? I think I got him. You think you got him? He fell. I don't know. He definitely... Probably a tactical retreat. (laughs) He's he's in the crack right there. I need to confirm the kill. I appreciate that. Sorry for the uh, the intermission, folks. That was one of the most exciting things oh to happen during God. a podcast. It's not dead. It's not dead? Come here. Oh, shit. Maybe it was dead. Maybe it was Maybe just, it was just sticking. What a hoss. You even eat that? We are back. <laughs> and our hands are bloodier for the occasion. 
that was I, we hope you guys enjoyed that that was more of the personality coming out on the pod than we were expecting today oh that's important that's that's some of the best stuff we've recorded um but anyway what were we talking about just down the stretch just mariners stretch yeah what, what are we what are we going to see yeah so i just wanted to touch briefly apologies for the uh deep dive here but our schedule down the stretch nine series left we have the Mets who are 10 games under 500 the Reds who are at 500 Rays are studs Angels are you know crumbling Dodgers are studs Athletics are trash and then we have that 10 game Texas or actually nine game Texas Astros Texas um to end the season so oh no 10 games sorry one's in October um so, yeah, it's really going to come down to that last 10 games, more than likely, um, unless we can get some real separation here against some of these more mid-tier teams. I think the series I'm most excited for, though, is actually the Dodgers series. I, I mean, think that's just going to be a fun series. It's going to be a good series, a little West Coast, ALNL. Good teams, know. like the number two seeds in each division at that point. Correct. Currently. That's, that's our, our, yeah, I guess we are, because the Guardians are trash. Um, so... That's pretty cool. That'll be a really fun one. And then a brief respite against the A's before uh, going down the uh, the real brutal stretch against the Rangers and Astros. And I'm not going to go into it, but we've looked at both the Astros and the Rangers schedules, and it's similar. You know, a couple bad series, but a lot of competitive ones, some against each other, which will be very good for us. And then obviously our series down the stretch so uh it's going to be close it's going to be tight gosh i would love to hold on to first yeah what i want to ask you john is say say we end up winning the al west who is the team that you want coming out of that four or five wild card matchup who do you want the mariners to play should we you know be in a spot that we are good enough to to worry about it so the four five is that uh, that would be the bottom two wild no 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 the top It'd be two the wild top cards. two wild cards so that's gonna so, be the Rays and either the Houston or or the Astros Houston and the Astros Houston or Texas um, could be the Jays could the Jays could come up could also be correct you know Houston plays Texas there could be a lot of variation in that who do you think is our best matchup out of the four teams below us or I guess yeah. three teams if you don't count Minnesota because I you know you're gonna expect them to be the three. They've got Tampa Bay's got a pretty good lock on that. Um, yeah, I think I want to play Texas. I think I want to play Texas. I know they're a good team. They seemed like world beaters at one point. Um, they're just the team I'm least afraid of right now. As we have been going on this incredible streak, 13 out of 15, the Rangers have lost 11 of 14. Something like that. They've it, lost a lot of games. It has been bad. When we just when we went and saw, we went and saw a, uh, a game the other week. We saw them play, uh, I guess, the first Oakland game. Um, at that point, Texas was losing their eighth straight game. So uh, they are really kind of coming apart at the seams at the worst possible time. At one point, they had a 10-game lead in the division. They've now fallen to third, third in the division. In like a month and a half. Um, yeah, so they are not playing great baseball. And if only somebody had seen this coming, is all I'm going to say. If only somebody had been brave enough to stand up when everybody was doubting and say, wait, are we sure about these guys? Are we sure they're not frauds? Um, too bad there wasn't a hero like that somewhere in this country. Uh, I will... That's tough. So we've we're currently are... In division record is worse, the worst against the Rangers. Um, we've been kind of beaten up on the Astros, and I think that's more of like from a competitive standpoint. We're just playing a little bit more up to up to where we could be playing at the highest level because they're the Astros. We want to beat them. It's um, also worth noting that we haven't really played the Rangers since going on this incredible stretch. Yeah, we played them a lot early, and we'll play them a lot late, but yes. we've missed them um, for a majority of the season so far. So, and as everybody knows, the Mariners post. June is a completely different team than the Mariners pre-June. So we've actually yet to play the Rangers. So um, in division record, undecided. I think you are right. We have been beating up on the Astros. It's kind of part of the reason I don't want the Astros. I don't want to go in overly confident against the team we're going to play. I also don't want to go in with the other team really pissed off and wanting to prove something, particularly when that team is the defending world champs and love to cheat 
and also have just a pretty disgusting lineup of hitters. Um, I I think I would like to play the Astros at least out of any potential wildcard team. I'd rather play the Rangers, the Blue Jays. I'd rather play the Rays, and the Rays are an awesome baseball team. That's no disrespect to them. They're 82 and 52, 30 games above 500. That's That speaks to the AL East, the fact that, you know, they have a better record than us by three or four games, and they're still second in their division. So, But still, but still I'd rather play the Rays. It's just any other one of those teams, if we are up 4-0, I'm feeling very confident. If we're up 4-0 against Houston, I'm actually like more afraid than if we were down 0-1 because you know they're going to get like bases loaded, one out, and like Bregman's going to hit a dinker over the first baseman and score two. It's just going to break our hearts. So, uh, yeah, is that a hot take? Am I being ridiculous right now? I just don't want any part of the Astros. No, I, so you're going a lot based on emotion right now, which I understand. You're an emotional baseball fan. That's just kind of who you are as a person. That is who I am. Uh, let me give you the reason you don't want to play the Astros and you would rather play the Rays or the, or the um, Rangers. The Rays pitching is obliterated. The Rays have like three of their five starting pitchers from the beginning of the season have gotten injured. They're out for the season, out for the year. Um, they don't have the best core of pitchers right now, and our offense is the thing that's been carrying us recently, and pitching wins in the playoffs. I think that combination helps us against the Rays a lot. Obviously, they have a great team, but without Juan DeFranco, they're kind of in a weird limbo, which they've been surviving very well, uh, but I think they're that's a team that we could beat. Along with the Rangers, I think the same thing. Uh, they're pretty beat up. They lost Ivaldi. Jonah Himes, been, he hurt his hand a while back. He's been playing, but I think he's still playing a little hurt. Uh, Jonah Himes, their catcher, if you didn't know that. Um, and I just, you know, they have, like we said, they haven't been playing good baseball, and I'm not as afraid of their starting pitching. Even though they picked up Scherzer, they've got a couple of good starters. I feel like our pitching at the top tier is way better, and it looks better in the playoffs. It plays better. Um, Scherzer might be able to turn it up. It'd be a really good matchup between Scherzer and Castillo to start. Uh, but I think Castillo is just a better pitcher at this point in his career. And when he, when you break it down, you've got Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert against whatever the Rangers are throwing is a better is a better outcome for us, and at least the pitching. Obviously, they've got great hitters. Um, and in Arlington, Texas is dangerous. They have a great home winning percentage. Uh, but if we're the two seed, we get more games at home. We get we get home advantage. And that's, you know, where, where it comes down to it is where you're playing and how good you feel in October. And I just love our pitching. That That's very true. We love the pitching. Um, it's also about high-end pitching come, come playoffs. It's not about necessarily how deep your rotation is, but how high-quality your starters are. Um, one thing to note about our pitching, um, we are not necessarily a team of, like, strikeout pitchers. Um, we're not a team that you know, um, prevents a lot of base hits. We're a team that's really good at limiting home runs. Um, that's kind of the bread and butter. You know, obviously Castillo is more of a punch-out guy, but almost everyone else, um, particularly Kirby and Gilbert, it's more about ball placement. Um, and when you're doing that, what you're afraid of are just elite batters, just guys that get on base and can fight through tough at bats and wait for that perfect pitch and dink it right over. The Mariners love guys that just want to swing really hard at balls um, because they're just going to ground them out and pop them up when Kirby puts a little spin on them. But um, of the teams that we were talking about, and I know this is a very basic stat, but I'm a very basic guy. You're going to have to put up with it. Um, The Mariners have three guys currently batting over 280. Um, as do the Rangers. Tampa Bay has four. Houston has five. Five guys batting over 280, three over 290. Um, And I think that's part of what scares me. Uh, The Rangers, at the start of the year, they were just bombing home runs. They've slowed down, but um, that's really how they were driving their offense early. They were getting guys on base and then hitting home runs. And that type of offense just doesn't scare me the way that this Houston lineup scares me with just guy after guy. It's Altuve, Alvarez, Tucker, McCormick, Diaz, Dubon, Bregman, Pena. It's just these guys scare the bejeebus out of me. Um, and I don't think it's an optimal matchup for our pitching. I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think 
for those fans that want a little more in-depth analysis than Please. just looking at averages, uh, the averages are obviously important. But just looking at that lineup, it's deeper and longer, and it makes the at or makes the pitcher work for more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, okay, so John and I were watching the Braves Dodgers game earlier, uh, and the bottom third of the Dodgers lineup is pretty atrocious right now. Um, versus the Braves, it's one through nine can hit. They are the most menacing team in baseball by far. And I think that, that that kind of thing just, when you're playing against the Braves versus the Dodgers, you know you have at least three hitters in that Dodgers lineup that you feel comfortable getting out. And I think it's the same kind of thing with the Astros, where you know you have Maldonado who's going to catch and he's going to be basically an automatic out. And you have a couple guys maybe who are on, the, on that Astros team who are easier to get out. But when you play the Rangers, you play the Rays, they're just not as deep and they're not as threatening. And maybe it's their names, maybe it's not, but it doesn't feel like the the opposing hitters on those teams are going to do as much damage as we've seen in the past. And that could also come from us being scarred by Jordan Alvarez from last year. Alvarez and Pena, obviously Altuve has a reputation in these moments. McCormick's had a lot of big moments in the playoffs. And you're right, some of it is reputation. It's not necessarily earned a performance this year but guess what that's also a part of postseason baseball when these pitchers are getting nervous and these guys are coming up to bat you know if some no name who's batting you know 285 and having a great year not necessarily getting in the pitcher's head he's not necessarily thinking about it but when yeah you know Altuve's coming up to bat with you know a man on second late in the game there's a psychological aspect of just Knowing that they've won before, knowing that they've beaten you before, knowing that they're not scared of these moments, particularly when they know what you're going to throw. Um, yeah, it's just not something I want. I'd rather take, you know, a bunch of guys that are really performing, but not necessarily in our heads. Um, a Rosarena having a down year. Looking at his stats, um, great player, but I thought he was having a better year than he was. Yeah, I think the Rays were definitely propped up by their pitching early, and I think things are kind of turning around. Diaz has been a really good player for the Rays. He's been awesome. Um, God, I, I keep thinking about Corey Seager. Corey Seager's had, had like an MVP caliber year before he got injured, um, and he's still coming back from it, but he was playing very well. Um, and if Otani wasn't around, it would be, you know, he would be in that top tier of MVP voting. Same with Julio, honestly. Um, which maybe actually let's just move on from that. We've talked a lot about the matchups right here right now. Yes. Let's talk about how great Julio's been and if he would be an MVP candidate should Shohei not be around. Yeah, I think even more importantly than that, you brought up a good point last time and then we're able to confirm it uh, with me earlier this week that Sh- Sh- uh, Shohei Julio's got some pretty massive incentives built into his contract based on uh, MVP vote finishes. So if you know if he gets a certain amount like three top five MVP finishes, he gets, you know, however many million dollar bonus added into his contract. Um, So it really matters. Obviously, a lot of these big players have these built in. But the reason that it matters is Julio is going to be a top five MVP candidate in the AL. There's just no way he's not. Obviously, you know, Shohei's got that thing wrapped up and, you know, fairly so. Um, But I guess, yeah, for the sake of the question, Shohei has had the MVP in the bag for the last four months. So let's take him out of the equation. Would Julio be the MVP in the AL if Shohei Otani did not exist? Um, Argument for it, the Seattle Mariners are the two seed, and he is like clearly their best player. Are you asking for the argument against it, or are you just going to... Anything. (laughs) (laughs) Retorts, agreement... No, I'm looking for spiders, man. Come on, we got to record this podcast. <laughs> no, I agree. I think if you're looking at it by like a war standard, Julio's up there with the top players in the league. Um, Shohei has like doubled the war of the top players in the league just because he's both a starting pitcher and a hitter. That's just how it works. Defensive metrics do not fair. get you much. He's. It's just not fair that he's that he's got that much war just because he's doing the two hardest things at really high levels. It's dumb. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think he would be a top three. He might even still be a top three candidate right now, but definitely top three should show. Hey, not exist as you hear a motorcycle come by. That's very loud in our place. Um, I, I, like I said, Seager would be a great candidate if he was not injured. I think Bobby Witts had a really good year 
Um, even though he's playing on a bad team, I think obviously if you're going to get MVP yeah. votes, you got to be on a good team. Or you have to be Mike Trout. Yeah, that too. Um, but Bobby Witt's been a re- been really good this year. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of good talent, but Julio's definitely cemented his status as a top five candidate for 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 you know a majority Hopefully of fans. Needs to come. Yeah, it's been nice that he's had kind of an up and down year though, and really fought through it. I'm just looking at Seager's stats. Yeah, the guy's an absolute animal. So he's only played in 90 games. But 346 with 25 home runs, 400 on base percentage, 650 slugging. Yeah, he was a monster when he was playing. Really, really high level. Um, is he still out right now? I don't know. He might be coming back soon. I don't know okay. what his injury was. I guess that would help explain their slide. He is clearly their best player. So Frauds in part. Maybe I'll give him that. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I'm not really sure who else would be a candidate. I guess maybe maybe Diaz on the Rays. Um, yeah, Jose Ramirez is always one, but he's had kind of a down year. Yeah, Diaz is batting 330, but he only has 17 home runs. It's crazy how far Aaron Judge has fallen off since last year. Oh, my goodness. I think the Yankees are 65 and 69. Yeah. There's just, I don't know exactly what's going on over there. but uh, I mean, they just lost to the Tigers today, so. Oh, ouch, ouchy, ouchy. I hate to see it. I hate seeing New, New York lose. Yeah, Judge is batting 260. That is way down for him. Um, yeah, Orioles are just super well-rounded. A lot of good players, not a ton of great ones. Um, Red Sox, Guardians, heck. Yeah, I think it's clearly... I think it's clearly Julio and Corey behind, um, behind Shohei. But... Yeah, how you'd order those guys, I guess, yeah, if games played matters more, Julio's been pretty consistent there, but um, Corey's been better at essentially everything else. I'm not sure how he is as a fielder compared to Julio, but... uh, He's decent. I mean, he's not anything crazy, but he's good. But it would probably be Corey, just based on strictly performance. But yeah, top three finish, I think think that's safe to say. Yeah. Uh, Okay, John, I'm going to move us past this into a little bit different type of Mariners discussion. That I'm sure the fans are gonna gonna just really love. A uh, lot of discussion about Pete Alonso and the Mets recently because the Mets have openly declared that they are willing to trade Pete Alonso this this off season. Um, we talked a l- earlier this week just between the two of us about how that would change what we would do, you know, what what, what it would take to get Pete Alonso, how that would change, you know, a lot of people have talked about how Ty France is having a down year. How does that look going forward? What would it take to get Pete Alonso? Um, so I want to hear your just initial thoughts. What is what is getting Pete Alonso do for this team, and why do we need to do that? Do that. So a couple things. So yeah, Pete Alonso, one of those big names. I think he led the AL in home runs two of the last three years, three of the last four years. The guy is Pete Alonso's in the NL. Duh, on the Mets, which is also makes sense because Judge was breaking records last year. So, yeah. um, but just an absolute hammer of a player. Um, good year actually to acquire him. His batting average is pretty down for him. He's batting two twenty on the year, so not great there. But the forty home runs do help. Um, he's only twenty eight years old, which is strange because it feels like he's been around for a hundred years. Six three two forty five, just. An absolute brick house. Um, what would it mean for the Mariners? Well, assuming that the primary, you know, actual tangible player on the field leaving the Mariners would be Ty France, what it would mean is a pretty tremendous boost in offense. Obviously, in terms of average, nothing crazy, but to have a home run hitter like that, you know, coming in after JP and after Julio, I'm not sure exactly where he'd slot in. You know, three seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, three or four. Yeah, but goodness gracious, a lot more RBIs. <laughs> JP, JP might have <laughs> two times as many runs on the year if Pete Alonso was on this team. Um, and yeah, I do think his value is probably relatively down with the way he's hitting. You know, I think the Mets are looking for a change. I'm sure he's looking for a change. Um, it would be, I think, a pretty outstanding acquisition. Um, for a guy like him... He's still young. He's big and strong. He's going to keep hitting dingers. Um, I think his on-base is more likely to improve than not. I guess, what do you think it would take? Because, to be frank, Ty France is not enough. Even just 
for the name alone, Pete Alonso, you know, it's putting butts in seats. Ty France is not necessarily doing that. I don't know. Ty France has a lot of lot of days during the during the season where he gets uh gets some fans in like the Vive la France days and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> um so I first of all, I want to give you my comp for Pete Alonso. Uh I think he's just another Eugenio Suarez. Like that's who Eugenio Suarez is. is he just hits bombs and hits 220 to 240. Like that's that's what he does. And he's actually having a down year right now. The problem is you talking about Eugenio or Pete Alonso? Eugenio. But yes. that's the thing. They're the same they're the same guy. Um I haven't I don't have Pete Alonso's stats pulled up. You might have to just rattle those off at some point. But he's uh Eugenio's got one more year or maybe no, two more years on his contract. One year and then a club option is what it is. Uh, if the if the Mariners want to retain him, but it's for fifteen million and he's currently making eleven million right now. Uh, I don't know that I would trade a bunch to get Pete Alonso to get the same guy that you currently have um, playing third base and just play them across the diamond, especially when a lot of the discussion about this team is we need more contact and more on-base capabilities. Um, I think one of the things that's felt a little down is the fact that we're not hitting as many home runs as we were expecting just because of Eugenio's early power struggles. Um, and I think Pete Alonso would be a great addition to that. But I think you're losing the, the on-base capabilities that Ty France brings you, um, which I think you really want in a second baseman or other type of position. I don't know. I still am of the mind that you should trade or should move Ty France to second base, and then you could bring in Pete Alonso, and it could work like that. I also think people love Ty France in Seattle, um, so I think that those are good options. In terms of getting Pete Alonso... I think you need to give a starter with some years of club control. Um, here's here's a question for you. Obviously, he's had a, a tiny, tiny sip of water at the at the MLB level. Emerson Hancock mm. could be a great one. Emerson Hancock, he's got value. Plus Jonathan Classe. Emerson Hancock has has pitched you know two and two two games and two innings. Got injured. He's got an injury history, but he's proven that he can pitch at the big league level with some success, at least. Um, and Jonathan Classe was a was a big prospect this year. He's been playing pretty well. Good power-speed combination guy. Um, and I think he just provides that club control that the Mets would be seeking. They're kind of in a rebuild. They spent so much money that they don't really know why things didn't work. And I think they, it's because they just bought a bunch of names. But... I think that'd be a great deal where we give up what we have in excess and a, and a bat who's controllable and what, someone that we don't necessarily need because we have this glut of outfielders right now. Um, for for a guy who brings you a lot of power and a little bit of stability at first base, I need to pull up Pete Alonso's contract really quick. You You talk a bit. Yeah, you please go ahead because I've got some things to say because comparing him to Eugenio Suarez... Um, as much as we both love Suarez, um, is, I believe, a little bit disrespectful. Uh, in 2019, Pete Alonso hit 53 home runs. 2020 was a shortened year. We're going to throw it out. In 21, he hit 37. In 22, he hit 40. And this year, he has hit 39 with 30 games to go. The guy is averaging over 40 home runs a year in full seasons that he plays. Um, he's averaging... 253 uh, batting over his career. He hit 300 last year and has dropped precipitously to 220 this year. So that's just comparing him to Eugenio is like is like comparing Aaron Judge to Shohei Otani. Uh, no, that's not fair. Judge is a stud. It's like comparing Giancarlo Stanton to Shohei Otani. Okay. okay. Technically, I mean, they're both big dudes that swing hard, but they are not... The same. Alonzo's a three-time All-Star. I need you to listen to Eugenio's stats really quick. Please. And we'll just I'll just go home runs and average. Please. So 2018, 34 home runs with an average of 283. Great year. 2019, 49 home runs with an average of 271. 2020, COVID year, we're just not going to count it. 2021, 31 home runs with an average of 198. Oof. 2022, 31 home runs with an average of 236. And 2023, currently, 18 home runs with an average of 236. 
Okay. I feel like they're very similar. Obviously, Pete Alonso has more power. Yes. What also seems like Suarez kind of peaked and has had a rough like three years. Well, and that's what I'm saying. He, his peak was that 49 home run season in 2019 when he was 28. That's fair. I mean, Alonso's 28 right now. That's what I'm getting at. What's okay? What's what's his career war? Do you have that on hand? Um, career war. I don't have the totals, but it was, you know, he was sitting in the, in the high threes, low fours for those good years. Um, except for the year he had a 198 batting average. He had a minus. That was the year um, he was playing shortstop, and he was just like kind of thrown off. Um, and as soon as we moved him back to third after we acquired him, he he shot right back up to four war. Um. Yeah, he's sitting right around four. He's been like all-star caliber level for most of his last five years. I don't know, man. I love to hear it. Um, I would be more than happy to trade what I would consider more of a sure thing um, in Alonzo for Eugenio. But it's also worth noting, having two guys that have the potential to hit 40 home runs on your roster, not a bad thing. Particularly when you have guys like JP and Julio who you can count to get on base a little more consistently. Obviously, you don't want to get too home run heavy or you find yourself in Yankees dystopia. Um, But yeah, if we're talking about, you know, Ty France, who has been very so-so and doesn't even seem like he's like, I mean, obviously he's a good guy. He fits in with the clubhouse, but he doesn't seem like he's like a captain of the team. He seems like he's just another guy out there. Um, And a, you know, potential pitching prospect like Emerson Hancock, who probably seems better than he actually is because the Seattle coaching staff has been putting that special sauce in his in his juice that he's they're giving to the rest of the pitchers. Um, I would be all in on that. I think he would be reinvigorated by moving teams, get out of the cesspool that is New York, get some fresh air out here in Seattle. Man, calling out the New Yorkers is tough on this pod. Yeah, I, I hate to do it. But also, we've talked a lot about how it's, you know, a lot of pitchers, or a lot of pitchers, a lot of hitters struggle in Seattle because, you know, we got that heavy sea air, and, you know, we got a relatively large stadium it would be so nice to bring in a guy who hits you know 450 foot home runs pretty regularly you know this is where he's needed more than anywhere else um and you know we've talked before about how great would it be to get like Shohei or something what it would take to get a guy like that we just know we just know from our front office it's it's just it's just not gonna happen it's gonna be very hard granted Shohei's UCL tear Makes him just a DH next year? Yes. He could do like a one-year deal and then come back and do like a prove-it year. I would love to give him a prove-it option. But uh, I think getting a guy like Pete, who's a big name, but he's not a big name this year, a guy who's coming off a season where he was a top-five MVP guy um, to a year where he's only batting 220 and kind of struggling on a, on a ho-hum Mets team, this is the year to get a guy like this. He comes to Seattle next year. He's batting two seventy five and hits you know forty two home runs, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we forgot how good Pete Alonso was." Um, now's the time to get that guy. Don't get the guy who's having his MVP year the year after he has that year. Everyone realizes how great he is. Get the guy who you know has that top end potential, but who's having a down year. I would, I would be, I would give up a lot to get Pete Alonso on this team. I believe in the guy. Believe in the power. Um, and I think he's primed for a bounce back year, uh, assuming you know, assuming we could get hold of him. Yeah, contract wise, he's a free agent ex- after next year, um, so we would get him for one year. It's a tough, tough deal to to give a lot to get one year of any player. But that that's also that's you know, it's a pro, but it's also or a con, but it's also a pro. The fact that we'd be getting him on a one year deal would probably mean that we wouldn't have to give up as much to get a hold of him. Yeah, that's what I was going to say that. And also, it just means if things don't work out, he's back on the market. We don't have to worry about it. Correct. correct. And you can always attempt to extend. Obviously, you never want to rely on an extension to get uh, to get any players, but you can always attempt the extension if he's playing well and likes it in Seattle. He's also coming from like, uh, you know, not a toxic fan base, but a pretty like disappointed fan base. I feel like Mets fans haven't been necessarily kind to Mets players, and not for unfair reason, but just a lot of pressure and not necessarily a fun team. To come out here, great division, great team, great city. Um, and I think the thing about a player like Pete Alonso is you would know absolutely whether or not it was working. Like, he's not going to come in here and hit, like, 20 home runs. That's just not going to happen. You know, he's going to come in and 
I guess if he hits like 24 home runs, that would be like, a, okay, Pete, sorry. You're probably not worth it here. You know, go to Houston. <laughs> Hit a lot of home runs. But uh, if he has that, you know, 35 to 45 home run season, and we know that it can work in Seattle, then it's like, absolutely, let's extend this guy. He's going to be 29. Let's get him for the next like six years. Um, and pair him with Julio and have a pretty frightening, you know, couple headliners swinging, swinging the bat for you. I just, I think a lot could go right and pretty limited could go wrong. Yeah, we're, we're all in. I think we, we've, you know, we didn't want to overstate that, but yeah, we're, we're all in on getting Pete Alonso as long as things can work out for the team. I'm not as keen on getting rid of Ty France. He's had one slightly down year, but I still think he's got, you know, a lot of good capabilities and good, good time left in that bat. Uh, we're going to move on because we've been talking for the Mariners for 40 minutes and we do need to get to something Goodness else. Goodness gracious. How do we do it every time? I don't, I, I don't get it. One, don't last, know, one last thing, NL team, the Mets, you always prefer to trade out of your own league. So That's true. Um, and I guess one more note. 26-man 20, rosters extend to 28-man rosters tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday. Um, I would expect Sam Haggerty to come up Love and it. Dominic Leone, who we just acquired off waivers. Uh, to come up and we just you know we acquire a utility player and a, a relief pitcher to help with help with our pitching and uh, give some people some days off um, but as soon as Jared Kelnick finishes his rehab assignment I think he'll be back on the team and we'll probably send either Haggerty or Leon down or we DFA Mike for it I don't I don't know if that's happened yet um, I don't think he has any options to send down to AAA so I think he would get DFA'd which I would be sad but not super sad to see yeah Okay, um, enough Mariners. Yeah, we're done. That that was that was the last thing I wanted to say. Also, Jared's playing tonight in shut up, in Tacoma. Shut up, shut up. Go go go, Rainiers! I'm gonna scream. <laughs> All right, moving on, John. Let's talk college football. Yup, yup. It's time we've we've we're moving into the football realm, everybody. I know we've kind of light like lightly gone to it with the Seahawks preseason. We're gonna be in full send next week. This is your this is your preseason. For our uh, for our football pods, nice. Yeah, so we're getting into football. We're going to talk a little college, talk a little pro. Let's start with college. Season is coming up quick. Um, little disclaimer: I'm excited. I'm going to see Florida play Tennessee uh, in Gainesville in mid September. So uh, I'll have to report back after that. Are you going to Florida? Correct. It's going to be a doubleheader. I'm seeing first SEC game in Florida, and then we're also seeing Jacksonville, Kansas City. <laughs> When, when were you going to tell me you were going to Florida, man? I'm getting left alone out here. You're going to have to come out to Atlanta that weekend, man. <laughs> um, That's yeah. going to be sick. That, that sounds awesome. That is cool. Yeah, my brother got me free tickets, so I just got to pay for the plane. <laughs> is it you and your brother are going down there? It's kind of a group, but it'll be nice. fun. Sweet. He asked me if there's anybody I wanted to invite. I said I couldn't think of anyone. So. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, Flor- or Florida. College football. Top four, it's the usual suspects. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama. God, I hate to see it. Uh, all seven of the top seven college football teams are either in the SEC, the Big Ten, or are moving to the Big Ten in a year, um, which you also hate to see. Um, but it's going to be a pretty fun year, relatively. I think Georgia had you know, a pretty good recruitment class, but I don't think they're going to be quite the juggernaut they were last year. One of Michigan or Ohio State are going to implode like they do every year. Bama being ranked full four, I love to see. I think people are still like, a lot of the common fans still think like Alabama is the scariest team in college football. They have not been the scariest team in college football for several years now. And I just, I'm just pleased as punch. I you know, Go Bulldogs. I'm happy to watch Georgia dominate for another couple of years if it keeps the tide not rolling. Um and I actually think, I think we've talked before, not sure if it's been on this podcast, just about kind of the death of college football and how all the parody has kind of gone out of it. But looking at the top 10 this year, I actually think there is a decent amount of parody. I'm excited for a lot of these top 10 matchups. Um, Washington slotted in at number 10. Love to see it. Um, I guess, yeah. Do you have any just general thoughts about college football as a whole as we enter this year? 
I would second all of your thoughts. I think it's great that it. I, great job by me. <laughs> it's great that Alabama is uh, is not that number one spot that everybody's just trying to take down. It's great that you know there's inter uh, conference play in the sense that you know Georgia and Alabama are one and four. They're going to have to play each other, and it's going to be a bloodbath. You know Michigan, Ohio State, they're they're going to play each other it's going to be a bloodbath all that kind of stuff is going to happen and it's going to be great for college football to just get more teams feel like they're tighter in their skill level mm-hmm. you know washington's going to play oregon they're 10 and 15 right now i think that's going to move, you know move up as the games go by because washington's offense is going to carry them correct yeah it's going to be it's going to be very interesting we'll talk a little more about uw here in a minute but yeah just looking at it, it is with all the realignment that's been going on it actually you know, it's making, obviously, there's less parity in the lower ranks, and there will continue to be. For example, Oregon State's ranked 18 right now, and that is awesome. With everything that's going on, it would be pretty surprising if Oregon State had another top 25 year in the next five years, just because, you know, with the kind of homogenization of the top of college football, it's going to make it a lot harder for those low end teams to sneak in. But, you know, if you're in the Big Ten or if you're in the SEC, it actually does look like there's going to be more parity. Bama and Georgia are going to have a hell of a time holding on to one and four when they, you know, it was already a tough schedule and now we're throwing Texas in, you know. Tennessee is going to be good. Tennessee is 12. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's really good. Just one last thing on kind of the general standings. Like we said, nothing is more important than Alabama being not ranked one. Top, top three, outside of the top three is fantastic. The next big step for college football. How about just not an SEC team ranked number one? How about, you know, what about Ohio State State ranked number one next year? You know, it's still Big Ten, no big surprise there, but it would just be cool to see a, a non-SEC team at the top. How about UW next year? They're going to win the nat- Natty anyways, so might that'd, as well just keep it going. That'd be pretty sick. With that in mind, yeah, let's narrow in a little bit on UW. Um, currently ranked number 10. It's going to be an awesome year. Um, last year in the Pac-12, uh, and unfortunately, you know, the schedule is not necessarily what you would want it to be for them to have a chance to compete for one of those top four spots. Uh, they play one, two, three, four, four ranked opponents all year. Oregon, number 15, is their first one in October. Then they play USC at number six, which is going to be an awesome game in November, followed by Utah at 14 and Oregon State at 18. So their best opponent six and their next best is 14. Um, if UW wants a shot at the playoff... They need to win all those games. They, they need, need to they win need all those games. Sweep, yeah. They need to win everything. When, I think they can have one loss, but I don't think that one loss can be against a ranked opponent, mm. which is you know kind of a little backwards, but I think they need to be 4-0 against their ranked competition. I like that. Um, something to note, and I think it's important to tell when we talk about all these ranked teams... Rankings change throughout the year. Yes. So right now, Boise State's unranked. That's that first game on Saturday this week. Uh, Boise State could, you know, be really good, end up being number 20 in the nation at the end of the year. Absolutely. Same with Michigan State. We've got a good preseason schedule, and I think that's really important. You know, it's Boise State, Tulsa, and Michigan State. That's three teams that could be, you know, Tulsa's not great, but Boise State and Michigan State are really good teams, and they've had a long history of being good. So if they continue to play at a good level, they could end up in those, you know, low 20s, high teens kind of area. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, obviously, too, the other ranked teams we play can rise in the rankings. You know, maybe Oregon will finish at like eight or something like that. Um, You know who's a bad schedule? USC. They play Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, and Oregon. But I would have thought they would have had a bigger non-conference game schedule for the year considering they're ranked number six. Hate to see it. Yeah, I think USC is going to be a bunch of frauds. I think they're my Texas, you know? Oh, <laughs> wow, your Texas. That is savage, hilarious. I love it. Um, while we're talking about Washington, USC, um, why don't you give us a little uh, potential Heisman primer? Yeah, actually, I, I, I'm all in on this. So let me give you the 2023 Heisman odds for... The USC quarterback, Caleb Williams, he is plus 375, which is obviously the best odds. You don't win a lot of money if you pay for him to win the Heisman because... But actually not a bad bet because you can still win like four to one odds on a guy that pretty... 
you know so much of the Heisman is name. You know, it if he feels just like has it's a decided year, right now, yeah, yeah, he it's, he kind of has to just not blow it, but maybe he'll blow it. Yeah, um, and then you've got the quarterback for the Huskies, Michael Penix Jr. Plus eighteen hundred. He is the what is that? Technically, I see the ninth, tenth best odds. Um, I see only with, five guys above him on the chart I'm looking at. So okay. probably different odds. Di- different odds for different different. Somewhere sides. in that top ten Heisman odds. Yeah, but I see him at plus eighteen hundred. Let me let me rattle off two sets of stats for you guys, and we'll just just compare. Mm. Quarterback number one, sixty-five point three. This is these are twenty twenty-two stats. 65.3% completion percentage for 4,600 yards, 8.4 yards per uh, per catch, 31 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, sacked 5 times, total QB rating of 151.3. Quarterback number 2, 66.6% completion percentage for 4,500 yards, 9.1 yards per catch, uh, 42 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, sacked 30 times, and a quarterback rating of 168.5. John, we talked about this before the podcast, so you know which quarterback is which. Those uh, stat lines are pretty similar. I, they're so similar I forgot already. Which one is which? Uh, the one, the only way you can really distinct, distinguish between them is the one who got sacked 30 times compared to the one who got sacked five times. Caleb Williams was sacked 30 times last year. Oof. Other than that, they've basically got the same stats. He's got a few more touchdowns. Actually, he's got 11 more touchdowns. I'll give that to him. I think that's because they have more of like he, – he just has more of a run-based um, approach. Like he can run the ball in, and thus he can get those kinds of touchdowns. Correct. Um, but, you know, similar amount of interceptions. And I think the real key is like Michael Penix Jr. is just – the the Huskies have an air raid offense, and I think that it's kind of like – you can compare who's who's a good NFL comparison for Caleb Williams. I feel like he's got that run option in him, where it's kind of like a Patrick Mahomes versus a Aaron Rodgers. I almost think, if you want to think of it like that, like a Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers is a good comp for Caleb Williams versus Michael Penix Jr. Those are both great NFL players. Both have won MVPs, and I think Michael Penix Jr. has a fair shot at winning the Heisman. I think he's got great odds if you get him at plus eighteen hundred. That's a great. Great time to go for his uh, for his Heisman odds. Um, yeah, I really just wanted to highlight that because they're so similar, and I feel like it's going to actually be a big. You know, Phoenix Jr. could come down in the in the top five or Heisman Heisman voting at the end of the season, and I would not be surprised. Um, any thoughts about that, John? Yeah, so they kind of played the position just a little bit differently. Um, Caleb is obviously famous for like his scramble drill you know heroics a little you know people always do this and you know people say don't do it compare guys to Patrick Mahomes he actually does remind me more of Patrick Mahomes like actually as like how he looks on the field more than any other quarterback that I've seen just in terms of like you know he's fast and he can run but he likes to work in the pocket he likes to use his legs to scramble around to keep plays alive and that is what he is like famous for those long you know 10 second plays where he's evading the rush and finding a guy downfield it's also um, why he got sacked 30 times last year correct no doubt no doubt about that um yeah he's just he's a real stud he can he can throw it all over the field but uh yeah it's not also it's not all about prospects it's worth noting obviously Caleb Williams is is likely to be the number one overall pick in the next draft um, Penix is projected to be a first-round pick. Um, really, really talented player. Uh, can throw it all over the field. Not as much of a rusher, but he is fast. He's in the 86th percentile for 40, or for the running the 40. Um, so there's nothing he can't do. In terms of measurables, he's 6'3", two inches taller than Caleb Williams, and he's two years older. He's 23 as compared to 21. Um Come draft time, that's not going to matter. We're not here saying that Penix is going to get drafted over Caleb Williams. But having two more years of experience at quarterback, being a little bit taller, a little bit bigger, um, having a better offensive line, being in an air raid offense, uh, being on a top 10 team that's going to be you know fighting for a shot at the playoff, absolutely, this guy has a shot at winning the Heisman. You know, um, We'll see. Like I said, 
if Penix won it, he would have to put up significantly better stats. And I think UW would probably have to, you know, win at least three of their four ranked games, including they would have to beat USC in that game in uh, November. That's going to be a huge game, uh, potentially for, for Heisman uh, chances. But he's also going to have to beat him statistically by, I think, a significant margin. You know, if Caleb Williams throws for, you know, 4,400 yards and, you know, however many touchdowns, he's probably got it in the bag just because there's so much buzz. He's in L.A. It's just going to be hard to overcome. But if he struggles out of the gate and if UW, you know, makes a a run and has a chance at making the playoff, I think Penix has has really good odds. And the fact that he's plus 1,800 – considering that he's maybe in the best position, he might be in the best position of any quarterback to win the Heisman, is pretty surprising. Obviously, Caleb Williams is a better player, but in terms of what he's surrounded with, I think it's fair to say that Penix is in a better spot. Yeah, which I think is just its really cool to think that we have a quarterback who is in that Heisman contention. I don't think we've had one since... I guess Jake Browning could have been maybe talked about with the Heisman, but he was never really yeah. talked about like that. Yeah. Um, it's because he didn't have to carry his team. Locker might be the last guy. <laughs> that's that's what I was going to say, yeah. Gosh, that sounds like the, just a million years ago. Um, um, let's, let's, let's talk week one, and then we can hop off. It's been 55 minutes. You're right. You're right. That's, a good, that's enough, that's enough uh, college football. Yeah, we'll, we'll get even more of it. We'll definitely get a reaction pot out next week. Absolutely. Talk we'll about be excited. Game. This is just a primer. We love baseball, but we're very excited to talk to you guys about more than baseball. Yeah. Um, okay, looking at the lines. Boise State versus Washington Huskies. The the spread is 14.5. UW is projected to win by 14, or 14.5 is the spread, you know. Could win by 14 or 15, and that's where we're living. Uh, the over-under on points is 58.5. And, and the money line is for Boise State is plus 460. UW's minus 670. They're heavy favorites to win this game. Heavy. Never bet. Can I just, for all my betters out there, never bet on a minus 600 line. Just please don't do it. Yeah, it doesn't do anything for you. It's worthless. Um, I'm pretty tempted just looking at that at face value. Yeah, that minus 14.5 is minus 14 very and tempting. Minus 14.5 looks nice. For a, for a team that's minus 600 to win, the fact that they're only minus, you know, a little over two touchdowns um, is pretty surprising. I think... You know, the, this is not the heyday of Boise State. They're probably going to be a good team. But what did we just talk about? This is a top 10 college football team, UW. They have so much to prove this year. And it has more to do with just, like, this being a chance at the playoff. It's also about this is the last year in the Pac-12. This is the last year before the big move. They want to dominate the Pac-12 in their last season in it. They want to put their stamp on it before putting it to bed. They want to show all these Big Ten teams that, like, hey, we're the real deal. You got to take us seriously. You know, we're coming for you. Um, I do not think they're going to come out of the gate fucking around. I just don't think they're going to do it. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised if they smack Boise State around. I think that first quarter is going to be super scripted. They're going to score like twenty-one points in that first quarter. Correct. It's going to be. And it's going to be a blowout. No mercy rule. This is college football. Teams do not take their foot off the gas pedal because everything matters when you're looking at these playoff resumes. So. Uh, you know, if they can beat a team fifty to zero, they're going to beat a team fifty to zero. So I do like that fourteen and a half. Love to see Penix throw uh, four or five touchdowns in that first game. Eh, maybe a little start to the year. I don't know. I was going to say a nice little parlay to throw together might be to move that fourteen and a half to twelve and a half. Ooh, and then uh, get Penix for uh, two or three touchdowns. Oh, I think that would be just a great little parlay to throw together. Let's finish this podcast. I've got a <laughs> got some calls to make. <laughs> got to shift some money around. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta yeah, gotta talk to my uh, my guy. Not that we do any sports betting, people. Because sports betting is illegal in the state of Washington. Not illegal. You have to do it at the casino. We don't typically go there. And that's very true. Um, we just we you know we make things up. We play with Monopoly. Money we look at Fanduel. It exists. Fanduel exists. Yeah, we can look at Fanduel. Sue us, state of Washington. <laughs> I drive across the border into Oregon so I can legally gamble. <laughs> I've got a cousin who lives down west. <laughs> <laughs> I got a guy. Um, anyways, yeah, that's a little 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 entryway into into college football for this year. John, any more any more thoughts before we get on our way? I think that's good. NFL also coming up. We'll get into that more. Uh, 
Next week. Next week. Goodness gracious. Week one, September 10th. We might have to have two pods next week. We might have to. And you know, it's a struggle, but we do it for the people. Yeah. The people love us, you know? Mm. Uh, well, maybe that'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any advice for killing spiders, please uh, please send it our way. Tyler, you want to give us the outro? Yes, sir. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify uh, or Apple Music, or not Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. Um, we're there. If you're listening to us, you either found us there or on our RSS feed, which is just rss.com slash soundupseattle. Bet you haven't heard that one before. Mm. Um, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at soundupseattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can email us at soundupseattle at gmail.com. You can find me, Tyler, at tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John in the midst of playing Halo 3 right now. Is that where you're at? I actually finished Halo 3. Jesus, that was so quick. We did. We were at a different Halo last week. I'm not fucking around. <laughs> Anyways, we hope you have a good uh, good week. Hope the M's have a good series against the Mets. Hope UW creams Boise State this week. And uh, hey, go Cougs. We hope we hope the Cougs do well as well. Absolutely. Um, and go dogs. Go dogs, baby. Go dogs. I'm actually so excited for you, dog. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>